Good morning. It's a joy to be here, brothers and sisters. I appreciate this opportunity very much. It's been a while. It's good to be back. I want to thank the leadership for allowing me to lean on them, and, and they've uh, carried me through some health problems recently, and it's, it's good to be back. It is a joy to be here. It's also a great responsibility to be here, and we take that very seriously. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Come back and worship with us at every opportunity that you have. We hope that you find the services to be comfortable, to be edifying, but most importantly, to be according to the Word of God. The leadership, a few weeks back, we got together and we decided that we would talk on a few subjects this month that relate to our faith, the basic tenets of our faith. We wanted to talk about some of the pillars, if you will, some of the cornerstones. And so my, my turn was truth. So I want to talk about that today. It's a very important subject to me because I, I think that we're kind of lacking that in the world today. And I'm not sure it's anything new. I think that it, this has been an ongoing problem for many, many, many years, probably since the beginning. But I want us to talk about truth, and I don't want to look at it negatively, even though we're going to be a little negative to start off with, because truth is a positive thing. And let's don't get drawn into the negativity of it because truth is a pretty vanishing commodity right now. Depending on who you talk to, we hear, we hear reporters say that this candidate needs to change his rhetoric until he gets elected. It needs to move farther to the left or farther to the right as far as his rhetoric is concerned. Well, that's his talk. That's his... So his talk is not going to meet what he does, and once he gets in office, then he can do it. That's not exactly honest, is it? And, and anyway, that's one example. And it's easy to get cynical, and I have to watch that myself. Because truth is a vanishing commodity. So what is truth? What is it? What does it look like? Hmm. Well, everybody can define truth as they want to, can't they? Everyone can, well, you find your truth. Whatever is true for you, and it might not necessarily be true for me, but let's find truth. And I find truth inside myself. Have you ever heard that? We've heard that. Find your truth. I'll find mine. There's not really too much black and white. Everything is gray. You know what the Bible says? Oh, Lord, I know. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. The prophet of God, Jeremiah, said that. So which is it? Am I capable of finding and defining my truth? Or are we not capable of doing that all on our own? If you look at the definition of truth, it's defined as a fact or a reality. Then if you look at the definition of fact, it's defined as what is known or proven to be true. The problem is if we can say something and declare something and, and get it declared as fact, then it can become known as true, being a truth, even though it's never been proven and it's not wasn't a fact to begin with. <clears throat> Back in 
Back before World War II, the Nazis had a tool that they used, a tool of their propaganda. They called it an illusion of truth. And their stance was repeat a lie often enough and it becomes the truth. That's what we're dealing with today. How do we find truth? How do we... I think this was made for about a six and seven eighths head, not a melon head like mine is. But this is the tool that's being used today and it's easy for us to become cynical, isn't it? So what's true? The illusion of truth. Darlis and I went to the Grand Canyon a few years back. And we listened to a presentation saying that they had changed their mind on the Grand Canyon. No longer did they believe that it was built, uh, formed over millions or billions of years. They changed their mind and decided that it was built by one single catastrophic event. And Darlis and I were thrilled. We saw that. Went outside and they were drilling holes down the sidewalk. And I asked, what was this all about? And the lady said, I'm a geologist. Yeah, we just listened to another geologist inside. And she said, well, we're drilling these holes and listing the number of years it took to build this part of the canyon. Millions of years, millions of years. They didn't even agree inside or outside. One was catastrophic event. The other formed over millions and millions of years. So which one is it? That's part of our problem with truth. If things change, don't they? Then if you look up truth and in the dictionary, they list convenient truth also. Convenient truth, and it's defined as a truth people seek when they want to be right, even when they suspect they're wrong. A cynical person's view of the truth, I would think. It goes on to say a truth that some politicians and journalists use to persuade without worrying too much about actual truth. It's not getting better, is it? It goes on to say convenient truth is established. Now keep in mind this is established as truth. Convenient truth is established through confident repetition, assertion, and power. That's why it's important for us to know truth. It's important for us to have a grasp of truth and know the source of truth. So what is it? Why worry about it? What's the big deal? You know, we may stray off a little bit, but it doesn't really affect us as we live. Yeah, you have your truth, I have mine. What's the big deal? You know, things don't always go as we planned. Things don't always go as we planned. Things sometimes go south. As a young lineman, I went to work one morning and they said, we've got a job for you. I think I was a third-year apprentice lineman. And they'd been working down at McLean, and they said, uh, we're taking you down to McLean. The other crews have been down there. I hadn't been down there. And they said, we're going to take you down to McLean, and there's a line we have to build around an overpass, and we need two really tall poles on either side of this overpass, and the first thing we're going to have you do is climb a 65-foot pole. That's not the tallest poles that they have, but it's not the shortest either. I was riding down there, looking at this truck driver, an old, salty, you know, savvy truck driver, and I said, I don't know if I can do that or not. I was pretty good on a set of hooks. At least I felt like I was pretty decent. He said, you mean it may be closer to the house than it is to the top of that pole? And I said, yes, sir. I may have to quit my job. My family needs me to keep this job. 
At that point, I needed to know that my belief system was correct. A few years later, I had to be trained on transmission. And Caleb will understand this. And you take off your boots and you stand in your sock feet on the metal grate in the other bucket and you wear silver mesh gloves and you actually go up and clip on to 230,000 volts. The prayer that I said I needed to be to the true God. They make you drop a tool out of your hand, drop a 12-inch crescent out of your hands and it shoots blue flames, uh, blue sparks off the end of your fingers. I'm not saying this to to brag or anything, you people, there's people in this, among us this morning who've had to turn a valve on a thousand PSI. You say a little prayer before you do that. Any number of things. Maybe you've talked to the doctor when he had bad news. The prayer that you say at that time needs to be to someone real. You're on the ice and the car's spinning. The little one's in the back seat. We need to know that our belief system is founded on something solid, on truth. Maybe you're going to the storm cellar. Tornado's coming. When you're down in that storm cellar praying, you want to know that your belief system is true, brothers and sisters. And how we get along during the easy times and what we value and what we stress and our belief system during the times of pleasure and times of enjoyment will carry us through those times when we're praying with everything we got. That's why we worry about it. Wisest man that ever lived said, buy the truth. Don't sell it. We're not talking about a short-term trade here, are we? Buy it. Buy it with the intention that you're never going to sell it. It's the most valuable thing you'll ever own. Buy it. Don't sell it. And do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Why is that? And I just listed a few here. But when we're living our lives, we can do so in security. Knowing that when that time's come to, to go in the storm cellar, that we've got a being real to pray to. Truth is security, it's safety, it's hope, it's understanding, and we could talk all day long of the blessings of truth. And because it's all those things, it's also reassuring, it's also liberating, it's also empowering because we don't have to be worried, do we? We don't have to be fearful, we don't have to be anxious about what's coming next because those good times that we know are also a gift of God will help us carry through those difficult times when we're praying with everything we have. But there are six things I want to briefly mention this morning, six characteristics of truth that no matter what we come up against, no matter what happens, no matter what someone says, we can say, okay, does that, we can check it off. And it has to meet all six. It's not an easy checklist. The first one is truth is absolute. It's not relative. It's unqualified. It's unequivocal. It, it applies in every situation. It corresponds to reality. In other words, it's been proven. In every instance, truth has to correspond to reality. 
Just take, for instance, a person might come out and develop a brand new airplane. Said this airplane is super fast, super econo uh, economical, and super efficient. Doesn't take much fuel, and it's supersonic. Guy goes on to say, I flew 60 miles in 30 minutes. You did what? Speed of sound, 770, approximately 770 miles per, per hour. And he, he said, yes, I flew 30, uh, 30 minutes. It took me 30 minutes to fly 60 miles. That's 120 miles an hour. Okay, that doesn't correspond to reality. It's not a supersonic airplane if it won't fly 30 miles, 60 miles in, more, in less than 30 minutes. You get my drift. Hopefully I'm not butchering this too bad. Truth corresponds to reality. Truth is also coherent. It's consistent. Always the same. It doesn't vary. It doesn't contradict it's universal, unchanging, not trendy. Applies equally in every situation to everyone and to everything. Universal. Always has been, always will be. But it's also exclusive. Well, how can it be universal and exclusive too? It's exclusive because not all planes are supersonic. You may like for them to be. You may wish that they were. But not all planes are supersonic. It's exclusive. There is a line in the sand. They can call us narrow-minded if they want. But truth is exclusive. Without exception, always exclusive. And it's always objective. It's always neutral. It's always impersonal. It applies the same over here as it does over there and out there. Truth is all of these things. And if it doesn't check each and every box, it's not truth. Okay, let's see what happens then. The Bible defines it for us. And I think everyone knows where I'm going here, hopefully. The Bible defines truth. Number one, truth, the father of truth, is God. <laughs> Psalmist David put it like this, Into thine hand I commit my spirit, thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Certainly, God is the father of truth. His son, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the father except through me. Jesus said in John 14, 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. God, his Son, and his Holy Spirit. Truth. And by extension, then, their word is truth. Psalm 119, 160. David said, the entirety of your word is truth and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Absolute, isn't it? Absolute, universal. John 17, 17, Jesus praying said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Again, over and over again, we know that God, the Father, God the Son, and His Holy Spirit is truth and their word is truth. Wrong button. Colossians 1 and 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament, is truth. Galatians 2 and 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, this is an instance where Paul calls out Peter because when, when the Jews came in, he 
had to leave the Gentiles, a little peer pressure there, and went over and sat with the Jews. And Paul called him out, him and Barnabas both, because they walked not according to the truth of the gospel. It's exclusive, isn't it? There is a line in the sand there, isn't there? Meets all the qualifications. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Only God. Truth is not truth unless it meets God's definition of truth. Truth must correspond to God's reality, and truth is a person. God the Father, God the Son, and His Holy Spirit. And that includes the words of God. We know that. Hopefully we know that. Hopefully I didn't say anything there that we know that only God is absolute. Only God corresponds to reality and is proven over and over again. Only God is consistent and coherent. Only God is universal. Only He is exclusive and only He is objective. Not willing that any should perish. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Solomon said, buy the truth and don't sell it. We know what it is. We know it's God and His Word. Without exception. So buy the truth and don't sell it. We're not talking about a little investment here. We're not talking about short-term trade where we can buy it for a little bit and then, and then sell it a few days, few weeks, few months, few years later for, for a profit. We're not talking about buying it to trade it. Do not sell. Period. Proverbs 3 and 3. Solomon said, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So buy it to keep it, not to sell it. And to forsake means to lose. Don't lose it. Tie it around your neck. You ever tie something around your neck with a rope or a twine? or something? Tie? Not always comfortable, is it? Especially a rope. If you tie it around your neck... It's going to be a little uncomfortable once in a while, isn't it? That's what truth is. It's a little uncomfortable once in a while. It's not always easy to, easy to tie, easy to hang on to. And it's always there. It's always there. You can run it, you throw it around behind, but lay down and go to sleep at night. No, I better not take it off. I better just leave it. Shower around it. It's always there. We're kind of saddled with it, aren't we? That's what he tells us to do. Be saddled with it. Buy it with the intention that you're never going to sell it and don't ever lose it. Tie it around your neck. Write it on your heart. My dad had, a, had several favorite passages of Scripture that he would quote and preached all over this area. Uh, and we got to hear his sermons a lot. And, and several of these, of these uh, scriptures he quoted. The second Peter 1, starting in verse 5, seven Christian graces. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten he was purged from his old sins. 
Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be administered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I could quote that from the time I was about this big. Had no idea where it was at. Didn't know it was 2 Peter 1. There were some others. Dad had that on his heart, and he passed because he did, because he didn't lose it, he passed it down to us. We could quote that scripture. Like I say, I had to look it up, see where it was at. But we could quote it. John 14, there were, there were a few. But if we do that, we can have an influence on people. Our children see that. Our grandchildren see that. If we write it on our heart, we try to do that casually. If we try to do that, yeah, I want to buy it, but I, I don't want to be, I don't want to necessarily buy in. I don't want to write it on my heart. Kids see that immediately. Buy it with the intention of never selling it. Tie it on securely and write it on our heart. So this morning is what you believe in, worth believing in, is what we believe in. Is it worth believing? Is it worth, worth investing what we invest in, our time, our energy, our money, our souls? Matthew 13, 45, familiar passage. Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That person bought in. Didn't just buy it, but he bought in. Sold everything that he had. And bought it. Are we, have we bought in? Just a few. Just a few things. The truth of God, righteousness, justice, peace, love, joy. Righteousness, justice, mercy. Love, joy, peace, contentment, compassion, fulfillment, meaning, acceptance, salvation. All those things, and we could go on and on and on. We could just listing the things we are blessed by. The truth. But there's another side of the coin, is there? There's another side of the coin because truth is not ever popular. It's not. It's not, it wasn't, and it's not now. It's always been opposed by the culture of the day. Always. Even before Christ, a pagan philosopher named Plato was attempting to do something different. He was actually trying to be a moral person in a completely immoral society. So he knew firsthand, and he said no one is more hated than he who speaks the truth. So we have, we have a war that we're called to fight. A war that we're called to fight. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 35, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Gets a little uncomfortable at times, doesn't it? You tie it around there, it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Jude 1 and 
3, the Bible says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We're called to defend truth. And sometimes that's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be members of our own family. Calls them enemies. King James says foes. Foes, but who exactly is our true enemy? If we think about that just for a minute, certainly members of our family, people we come in contact with, they're going to be the ones who roll their eyes at us. What's the matter? Is it a sin? Get a little of that. Our brothers and sisters in, in India have had to hide in the jungle as they come through with machetes. And when you go into the jungle, jungle in India, you go in where the tigers and the cobras are. So we can take a little bit of harassment, a little bit of persecution that we get here. But who's the enemy? Now we know that sometimes the people who are being rude to us and etc. Look like the enemies, but who's actually enemy? Because Jesus said God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Excuse me, Paul said that, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, that God desires all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if they're gonna if God loves them, which he did, which he does, and which he sent his son to die for us when we were still in sin, <coughs> still his enemies, he wants all men to, come, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who's actually our enemy? I think we know that too. Hopefully we do. The truth is that we do not wrestle, Ephesians 4 and 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, Satan certainly uses people as tools against us. But it's a little easier sometimes to know how to react to that situation when we know that they're not the enemy. God wants them to be saved too. Sometimes that's hard to do. I just want to go over there sometimes and visit with somebody. Give them what for? It's a little... It's a little different when we think that God wants that person to be saved even if they are giving us a hard time because the enemy is Satan. He may be using them. and I'm not saying it's, it's easy because it's not. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's who our adversary is. And as much as we may want to handle that, certain, that situation with that person doing that in a certain way, it takes on a little different meaning when the truth is God wants to save them just like he does you. 
So how can we react in that situation that will be a positive? How can we draw something out of that situation that will cause them to maybe look differently at what they're doing? We have to learn the truth. And then we have to apply it. Can't talk about the truth without going to 2 Timothy 2 and 15. The Bible says, there, King James says, study. New King James says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent means to work, work hard, to labor. And that's it, studying, like the King James says. So what's he saying? Rightly divide means to correctly dissect, correctly divide. Hold a straight course to handle a right, to teach correctly. Wait a minute, Monty, I don't teach. Yeah, you do. Everyone in here over the age of size of this teaches. You may not think you do, but you teach. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren, teach your nieces and nephews, teach your students. You have a circle of influence. You have a sphere of influence. And you're teaching every day. You have little brothers, little sisters. You have a sphere of influence and you're teaching them something every day, whether we want to or not. So we need to study. We need to be diligent in our study of the scriptures. We need to work and work hard at understanding scriptures and reveal ourselves to be acceptable to God. By doing that, by handling those situations, by knowing how to handle those situations, when they come up, we reveal to ourselves, to the world, and to God too, that we're acceptable to Him. Rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. I want to break this down a little bit, if I can, because I think this makes our point. 2 Corinthians 10, starting verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Okay, we don't walk in the, we walk in the flesh, but our weapons are not. Okay, we've already established. We've established that God is, is truth. His word is truth. It says we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. The weapons that he provides for us in the word of truth are not physical weapons. You don't reach into the Bible and grab a sword. You don't do it that way. What are we doing? Study to show yourself approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. For the weapons, verse 4, of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly. But they are mighty, brothers and sisters. They are mighty. Because they're in God. They're in Christ. In the Holy Spirit. Mighty enough to pull down strongholds. Imagine a mighty fortress being completely destroyed. Demolished. Capable of being completely demolished by what we have in here and what we have up here. Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. Those arguments there are thoughts, are opinions, are reasonings. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
these thoughts, pardon me, these opinions, exalting themselves. The King James calls it imaginations. Again, thought processes. The battle is here. The battle is here. Every thought, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obedience of Christ. You had to go there, didn't you, Monty? You had to go there. We, we were all good. We were all good. But obedience, really? You're not going to hear that out there. You're not going to hear that in so many places. You're going to hear things like relationship rather than religion. Relationship rather than religion. They want to define religion as some set of rules and regulations, some sort of always going to church and always doing these things. What's the truth, brothers and sisters? People want a relationship. They don't want to have to go to church. Church. They don't want to be bound by certain rules and, and guidelines. The very popular doctrine in the Christian world today. Religion. It's a bad thing. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Certainly, we all want a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want that. We want that. But let's talk about this just for a minute. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, there's the relationship, the loving him. Well, we got to do something, don't we? Keep my commandments. On down to verse 23, he goes a little farther, 23 and 24. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Why is it a problem to have both? Why do we have to choose between one or the other? We want to have our cake and eat it too? Do we want to have a relationship with truth if we're not living truth? Do we want to have a relationship with truth if we're living with what the Bible terms as falsehood? Hebrews 10.24 and let us consider one another, it's a familiar passage, but let's look at it a little closer. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, it says stir up love and good works. Okay, that's an encouragement. But we do that with each other, don't we? We're encouraging each other. We're encouraging love and emotion and relationships with one another. Good works with one another. How do we do that? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Exhorting even more. This is where we get that encouragement. This is where we get that relationship. That's where we build and grow those relationships. This is it. We can't do it out there sitting in our living room saying, yeah, I've got a relationship with Christ. It doesn't work that way, brothers. The truth is 
Let's read 1 Timothy 3 and see what it says. 1 Timothy 3 and 15. Paul said, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the pillar and ground of the truth, brothers and sisters. This is the foundation of the truth. If you want that, that religion, this is it. If you want the relationship, it's here too. One doesn't come without the other. And why would you want them to? Wouldn't we want that encouragement? Wouldn't we want someone encouraging us and stirring us and building that relationship, that love between what? Wouldn't we want that? Brother Larry said Wednesday night, on Wednesday nights, he said it many times. He said, I get my tank filled up. Get my tank topped off to last me through the rest of the week. We come to church all the time. Why do we do that? Because I need it. You may not. I think you do. But I do for sure. The pillar and ground of the truth is right here. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's religion, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Holy, acceptable to God, which you, is your reasonable service. Reasonable. It's only reasonable, but the word is also an exercise of the mind. It's a service of reason. It's a service of intellect. We need to know what is true. Service of reason. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The thing is, being obedient doesn't mean that, oh boy, I got to do this now. That's not the way it works. If we allow this truth of God in, we're a different creature. We're a different person. We want to do those things. It comes naturally to do those things. We will want to do those things. The renewing of our mind. We're not the same person. We don't want the same things. We don't stress the same things that we stressed earlier. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're changed, aren't we? Truth is exclusive. Also, there's a line in the sand. Isaiah 5 and 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Proverbs 17 and 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to God. There are things that people call okay that are not. And woe unto them. There are things that people call good for us that are not. The things that God says don't do are for our benefit. They're to keep us safe. They're to keep us healthy. They're to keep us on the road to the ultimate truth. I want to end with the reading 
that Riley read for, for me this morning. Appreciated that very much. Psalm 19, starting there in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting. That's that new creature. Converting the soul. The testimony is sure. That's absolute, isn't it? Rejoicing. Excuse me. I'm, testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Another blessing there, isn't it? The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. There's no value that we could actually place on the truth of God and His Word. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb, sweet to, to our bodies, sweet to our psyche, our minds, and sweet to our soul and spirit. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. We're called to know that truth. And more than just know it, we're called to apply it. We're called to become obedient to it. We're called to invest in it. We're called to defend it and fight for it. We're called to know who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. We're called to know where that battle takes place. You may not have the loudest voice this morning. You may not be the most influential person, but you do have the most important thing you could ever possess, the most valuable thing you could ever possess. You have the truth. The question is, what are you going to do with it? We offer an invitation to anyone that might have a need at this time. If you don't know the blessings of God, we would invite you to come forward, be baptized at this time, the water's ready. If, on the other hand, you have known the blessings of God, but something's between you and your God, you and your Savior that you'd like to take care of, you have something you need the prayers of the church for. Any way we can assist you at this time, please come forward and let us assist you as we stand and sing.